Good morning, joyful and social brothers and sisters. <laughs> Everyone's still basking uh, in the afterglow of our church Thanksgiving together uh, last week. Uh, wonderful Friday evening together. Praise God for that. We're here together this morning. I'm uh, going to look at a, a new topic together, a topic that uh, I think is useful to all of us, no matter where we're at in our Christian walk, a topic that I am... Um, clearly not qualified to teach upon, uh, but nonetheless, through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, felt led to uh, bring up the topic of gospel contentment. Uh, curiously, uh, the book uh, that I was given, The Power of Christian Contentment, was given to me last year at Shepherd's Conference, came in a box of books that takes me some time to get through. Curiously, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Pastor John's also been reading it. Uh, there was nothing planned there that just sort of happened. And um, I think this topic of contentment goes beautifully together between the topic we were looking at over the last three weeks of the persecuted church and the topic that's on all of our minds this week of giving thanks to the Lord. So um, let's pray and then we'll explore a little bit the uh, series that we'll be t- t- uh, looking at over the next uh, four weeks or so of gospel contentment. Father God, we come to you and we are grateful, Lord God, for what you have done for us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We're grateful for the things that you are actively doing through the power of your Holy Spirit in sanctifying us, yet we're also keenly aware that that gratefulness is often missing from our our daily thinking. We're often prone to focus on what we don't have or what we'd like to have instead of what you've done for us. And God, I just pray that as we uh, prepare for a week of, of giving thanks, that you would be central in our thoughts, that the idea of giving thanks would be giving thanks to you for what you've done for us and through us. God, we just uh, pray that this morning our hearts would be um, convicted through your word and that we would also be built up um, as joy-filled believers through looking at contentment, looking at the theme of Christian liberties through what you've done um, through the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. Just give us joy and build us up as your people. We worship you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the idea of contentment, to look at the, the theme in its most basic sense, it's satisfaction. To look at a dictionary definition, it's just simply to be satisfied. Secular definitions would also bring in the idea of peace or or happiness, but it's to be satisfied. And the reality is we, in our, our own hearts, are often dissatisfied. That's our condition. That's our natural state. In fact, the, um, book by Jerry Bridges called Respectable Sins is a, a favorite book of mine. It's like probably my least favorite and one of my most favorites at the same time. It has a list of these, these sins that are present in our lives that we often excuse and, and look past. In fact, um, Jerry Bridges even says that discontent is probably one of the most natural things. Interestingly, dissatisfaction is um, a result of the fall we actually can go through and find times in God's word in Hosea and Isaiah where God actually curses his people with dissatisfaction. You'll eat and you'll never be full. You'll go after all these things and you'll never be satisfied. Why? Because our satisfaction ought to come through him. When we seek to satisfy ourselves with anything else, 
the dissatisfaction only grows. I'm going to borrow a, a list of things um, to help us kind of contextualize this idea of discontentment a bit. The slide um, has a few things, and, and just so you don't think I'm singling anyone out, this list of things that often bring discontentment actually comes from Jerry Bridges' book on respectable sins. He says that people are often subject to feeling dissatisfaction and discontentment because of their jobs, where they work or what they do or what they earn. They're often discontent because of their, their marital status, perhaps being single. They might be dissatisfied because of their inability to have children. They might be dissatisfied because of their marriage. Dissatisfied because of physical disabilities. And I'll even add to this, they might be dissatisfied because of where they're at. In fact, the focus of, of what I feel led to share with you today from, from God's word is being content where we are at. These, uh, these lists of things are all properly put in place when we understand the bigger question of why they're happening. The uh, three questions I want to look at today as we broach the topic of contentment is, is the meaning of life. If we look at why we are where we are, and why we're going through what we're going through is all needs to be viewed in light of the gospel. The uh, book that I'll share with you from, The Power of Christian Contentment, was inspired by um, a Puritan book, a collection of sermons called The Rare Jewel by Jeremiah Burroughs. I couldn't find that book uh, real easily available. And while I'd love to recommend this book to you, it turns out that both books pretty much find their basis in the book of Philippians, which no one has to order on Amazon Prime. Everyone has it with them this morning. So throughout the course of this kind of glimpse of gospel contentment, we'll use the book of Philippians as our backdrop for understanding what it is to be content in the gospel. And the, the questions that we have here we'll explore a little bit in light of Paul's ministry and the writings of, of Paul this morning from Philippians, the first chapter. Before I go any further, I, I want to establish something that we probably have already understood, and that is being discontent is sinful. And that's because it interferes with our key purpose, the why we are here. I just want to share with you a brief excerpt from this book, Andrew Davis, The Power of Christian Contentment. And it says this about discontentment. It says, In this tragic world, we are surrounded by discontented people. Every minute of the day, it is possible to see evidence of this restless discontentment in the way people respond to circumstances. People show their discontent while driving because traffic is too slow, or the weather is too hot, too rainy, or too humid or people in their jobs aren't making enough money or receiving enough credit for the hard work they're putting in, or people can't stand their coworkers. People often feel disappointed by their marriage or how their children are turning out. Their bodies are too fat or they're not beautiful enough. Mired in their discontent, people often look to buy things they don't really need to improve their outlook on life. And he goes on to talk about the things that are evident with discontentment in society. But here's where I want to draw our attention. He says, as Christians, we should be surprised by none of this in terms of a diagnosis of the unbelieving world. But the great tragedy is that often we don't really live much differently. Many Christians hardly ever experience the daily foretaste of heaven that the Holy Spirit lives within us provides. 
Many display high levels of discontentment in all of the same circumstances that I just listed and in countless others. Many of us Christians are restless, searching for something of value in our lives and not finding it. Many are spiritually immature, unable to handle even the smallest afflictions and inconveniences without verbalizing our complaints to whomever will listen. Many Christians live such discontent lives that they will, will never be asked by any of the similarly discontent unbelievers around them to give a reason for the hope they have because they evidently don't have any hope. What a, a scathing accusation. And he mentions 1 Peter 3.15. If we're so dissatisfied and the world around us is so dissatisfied, why would anyone ever ask us to give a reason for the gospel hope that lives within us? Doesn't that sting just a bit? It stings a lot bit. <laughs> um, for me, as I look at um, the first chapter of, of Philippians, which we'll look at together, I'm reminded at how many times we've wished to be someplace else. There was a, an 80s rock group that wasn't, quite frankly, all that good, but the title of their album was always intriguing to me, and that's Welcome to Wherever You Are. And that's interesting that just having talked to people recently, there are many people who are here in San Diego not of their own choice. There are military families here that are assigned here and they just can't wait to be someplace else, a smaller town. There are others like me who have lived in other places and can't wait to get back to San Diego. The reality is we live in America's finest city. There really couldn't be a whole lot of other places we could wish to be. But yet... How much of our time do we spend wishing we were somewhere else, realistically? And so the three questions that I have here is, why am I here, in all caps, right? Why am I here? Why am I alive? Why am I on earth, right? And the second question, why am I here specifically in this context, right? Why am I here maybe in San Diego, let's just say? And then the final question that we want to look at together is, why am I still here, right? Some of us might be at a point in our, in our life where we ask, how much longer until we experience this heaven that we've been given a foretaste of? A great question. So we're going to look at those three things. We're going to look at them all in the context of Philippians chapter 1. First of all, to, to make a connection to what we've been in in the last three weeks, playing, praying for the persecuted church, it's important to keep the context of Philippians in view. Some have described Philippians as a thank you letter. Right? Paul is writing to the church in Philippi that had sent him some monetary assistance that's been praying for him. And, and uh, it's a great joy-filled admonition of Paul writing to the church in Philippi. But to reduce it to a really nice Hallmark card would be uh, inaccurate at very best. Right? This is Paul pouring out a right view of the gospel, writing to believers, and explaining to us that he rightfully understands why he's here in the big picture sense. Why did God create Paul? Why did God put Paul in the circumstances that he'd been in? Secondly, why he's in prison. This is one of the prison letters. Paul is, is being persecuted for his faith when he's writing these joy-filled words. And in the midst of, of all of this, Paul also answers the question for us, why is he still here? He's ready to be done with being beaten done with travel, done with all this affliction, but yet he explains for us why he's still experiencing all of these things. One other uh, thought as we begin, we're going to read uh, Philippians chapter 1 together. 
the, uh, the author of this book, um, Davis, on Christian contentment, asks a very interesting question. He says, if you could go on a two-week, all-expenses-paid, all-you-can-eat, all-inclusive resort or cruise, under the condition that you agreed to be discontent the entire two weeks, or spend a night in jail having the most intimate communion with your God and Savior as you possibly could, which would you pick? What an interesting question, right? And, and for some of us, we've maybe done an all-you-can-eat cruise or an all-you-can-eat um, experience before, and you f- know that we can find even discontentment in those, right? You go up to the all-you-can-eat bar, right at the moment they're replacing the, uh, the sushi tray, like, oh, there's no sushi, I'm going to have to get back up on my chair and go up again, right? Or the dessert's not as good as I thought it would be. We can find excuses to be discontent in the most opulent of circumstances, So the question that the author poses is great. Two weeks of everything you could possibly imagine having, knowing that it would bring you no contentment, or a night in jail, in intimate fellowship with God. Well, Paul got to experience that in Philippi, right? The beautiful thing about coming to a text like this is we got to study the book of Acts together. So we know that in Acts chapter 16, some unique experiences were granted to Paul by God. He met Lydia. He met a group of believers there in Philippi. He spent a night in prison. He and Saul were miraculously broken out of prison, and he was then apologized to for the, by the Philippian officials for an unlawful beating, an unlawful imprisonment, and then sent on his way. So Paul's time in Philippi may have been less than desirable. And now he's in prison yet again, and he's writing to his brothers and sisters in Philippi. And let's read this together, uh, Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ, Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve of what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So indeed, preach, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? 
only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through the, your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with the full courage now always, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of your destruction, of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. What a sincere letter. As you begin looking at the first verses, you see how many times Paul talks about joy and how many times Paul talks about rejoicing. It's a, it's a warm letter filled with this joy and rejoicing. And if you think about the fact that he's writing it from prison, it really is remarkable. What would our tone be in a similar type of situation? But the amazing thing is that Paul recognizes that the big reason for why he is here is for the purpose of advancing the gospel. One thing I want us to keep in mind today as we begin this, this series of contentment is that the reason we are in a certain place, why we are here, right, wherever we are, we are there for the simple purpose of advancing the gospel. I will add to that that the um, Westminster Catechism says beautifully, and I love the fact that our young people have, have learned this with uh, Mr. McLean, right? What is man's chief end? We all know this, right? It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If that's our purpose statement, then whatever circumstance we're going through, that sort of fades in light of that statement. Furthermore, it's not just to, to, to glorify God and to enjoy him for our own benefit, but it's also to advance the gospel. And if we put those things in perspective, everything we go through is for a purpose. If we can go back to this slide, Elizabeth, por, uh, por favor, the uh, slide there, with the, the different circumstances that Bridges talks about discontentment. If we go back to that and we add to that statement for the advancement of the gospel, it comes out very differently. Why are you in an unfulfilling or low-paying job? For the advancement of the gospel. Maybe there's someone there in that workplace that needs to know Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Why are you dealing with singleness well into midlife and beyond? Well, Paul talked about that, right? In our singleness or our married state is for the purposes of the advancement of the gospel. 
What about the inability to have children? The same. So that you can invest in, in discipling other people's children and come alongside them. Why are you in a season in your marriage where there's discontentment or happiness, unhappiness? Perhaps God has a purpose in all of that and it's for the advancement of his kingdom. How about physical disabilities? There's some remarkable people in the Christian faith that have gone through health adversity after health adversity. Some of them in our own congregation here. And why? For the advancement of the gospel. The poor health, all of those things. If we, if we take the rest of the statement, and we can look at that and say, those are all perfectly valid reasons to be discontent. None of those look fun to us. But if we add to, that, to the end of that, understanding what Paul does, that it's all about the purposes of advancing the gospel, it changes that completely. We recognize that these are all passing circumstances, right? They're all circumstances that come and go. Let's go back to the, um, the first slide about the, the meaning of life. Paul's question, why am I here? Now, if we were to skip ahead a little bit to Philippians chapter 3, we won't do this, but Paul goes through and he explains that he understands that he was born a Roman citizen, that he was a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and given these life positions for a particular reason, the advancement of the gospel. He will further go through and talk about his experiences as being one who was a persecutor of the church. What an amazing bit of credibility that lends to Paul's role as an ambassador of the gospel. Paul also had the opportunity to travel from place to place. For, for our society nowadays, one of the things that we often tend to idolize is travel. We recently signed up for a free travel magazine and we get all of these uh, little magazines on places that we could go. And I know a lot of people that spend every day they go to work planning what they're going to do for those days. They're not at work, right? And, and Paul had some unique opportunities to travel and unless we're, we should be jealous of that, it's probably worth mentioning that Paul didn't fly <laughs> to these destinations. And when he got to these destinations, what he experienced was far less than luxury. Now, he knew luxury, right? Well, he was in Philippi. He got to stay at uh, Lydia's guest house, maybe some fine purple linen sheets, right? And she fed him well. He's been a recipient of generous gifts from the, the church in Philippi. He had some great experiences along the way. But let's not forget that during his time of travel, Paul was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was insulted. He was stoned. He experienced things that for any of us would be undesirable, not on our list of things that we dream of doing. Yet all of those happened because Paul understood the why for his life. If we go to, uh, to Philippians chapter 1, there's a couple of things I want to point out. First of all, just briefly in verse 8, there's a, a word that strikes me as a little bit out of place for um, a man who's talking to us about contentment. He says, how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's a number of times in Paul's uh, writings that he talks about wanting to be another place. He doesn't want to be where he's at. He wants to be somewhere else. Now, is that because Paul has a travel bug and he's ready to go someplace else? I was looking at Romans chapter 15 uh, with, my, uh, with my dad this morning who's visiting and Paul talks about how he wants to go to Spain. He says, I'd really like to visit you guys in Rome, and I hope to do that on my way to Spain. I'd really like to make this trip, right? 
Paul has other places where he wants to go, and he says, you know what? The Holy Spirit impeded me. And in yet another sense, he says, Satan hindered my plans. Paul was a guy who, who wanted to go and travel to different places, but it wasn't out of just this sort of like, really like to see the world. It's all about his desire to spread the gospel where he's going. And, and for me, that's, that's super convicting to just see how Paul aligned all of his yearnings, all of his desires about being with God's people and proclaiming the gospel and going to those who hadn't heard the gospel and proclaiming it to them. So when you look at contentment, yearning isn't really a word that seems to go very well with contentment. And so I think that's worth pointing out. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And again, I don't think it's like a nostalgia from, for, for Paul. He'd like to be back in Philippi again, because Philippi was no picnic. But he wants to be with his brothers and sisters in Christ. The, uh, the next statement that I want to make is about why we go through what we're going through at this particular moment. Why are we here? This season of life. And to answer that question, I'd like us to look at verse, verse 12. Paul says something really, really amazing. Depending on which version you, you uh, have in front of you, it says this. I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The uh, NASB says to progress the gospel, right? If we think about our inward discontentment, it's often because we would like to advance something. We would like to advance our 401k savings. We would like to advance our retirement so that it comes closer. We would like to advance our careers, our prestige, our whatever. But Paul's sufferings, Paul's circumstances, were ones that brought him joy because he understand, understood what he's supposed to be advancing. He's supposed to be advancing the gospel. Look, look what happens while he's in prison. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known through the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I'm just in awe of the Holy Spirit, how all of this ties together so well with what we've been looking at for the last three weeks. Like, you, there's great planning that happens in this church, and I won't sell that short. But some of the most remarkable things and the cohesiveness of the gospel message is only orchestrated by the Holy Spirit, right? Like, the fact that we're brought to this after praying together and looking at things with, with Brother Ray, what a remarkable statement about contentment. Paul says, hey, I know I'm here. I've had an opportunity to preach to, to those who are guarding me and tell them about Christ. And of course, remember back in Philippi, at this point, you got to think that the guy that, that came to the Lord was probably in the congregation that received this letter, right? The, the earthquake broke open the, the walls. His prisoners escape. He's at the point of taking his own life. And then, through God's grace, Paul shows up and says, time out right? And that Philippian jailer came to Christ. And so when Paul writes his letter about how he's sharing the gospel with those who are his jailers, just remember his Philippian jailer is probably in that audience. How remarkable is that? Paul says, look, this jail time, this is for a purpose. One of the purposes is so that those guarding him would know Christ. And then in verse 14, 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some of you might have gotten the voice of the martyr in your mailbox this week, right? There are brothers and sisters in Christ that may be rejoicing and might know a contentment that we don't know because their circumstances are causing others elsewhere to become bolder. Going back to those lists of things that we could justifiably say cause us discontentment, do those things serve to advance the gospel? That's Paul's beautiful explanation for why he's going through those particular situations. Let's go on um, from verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but will with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. The last point that I kind of wanted to mention today is, is the question that some ask, why am I still here? Um, recognizing that our life is about advancing the gospel and not a, a, about advancing ourselves, the answer is the same. We're still here for the purpose of advancing the gospel. I think, um, and this sounds trite perhaps, but if I look at the things that God has allowed me to accomplish in my life, I could honestly say, if the Lord said, today's your last day, I could be good with that, right? And, and many of you are in that same situation. You've, you've gone through life experiences. You've gotten to a certain point. You're like, I could be done today and that'd be all right. And Paul goes on to say that. He's like, you know what? This prison thing, I'm tired, right? Paul says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor to me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. To, to look at what Paul is saying, he is now at a point where he understands what is awaiting him in heaven. The, the pull of, of glory, the pull of being with Christ, that draw, that intimacy, is, has such a pull on him that he's ready to let go of all of those things in the world. If we've arrived at that point, praise God. But recognize that the reason we still have breath in our lungs, the, the reason we still have life, the reason the, the time on earth of pilgrimage continues is because he still has a purpose for us in advancing the gospel. Paul says, hey, it's for your benefit, church in Philippi. It's for the benefit of those who are caretaking him in prison that he's still on earth. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is necessary on your account. One of the secrets of contentment is to take our eyes off of ourselves, to put our eyes on Christ, and to then in turn understand that Christ has us here, to share his renown and his message with others. There's one verse I want to share with you that's one of my, my favorite texts from Isaiah chapter 39. And we won't look at um, chapter 38, rather. Chapter 38, verse 17 and, and 18. This is an excerpt of Hezekiah's prayer, 
right? Hezekiah um, asked God to, to heal him and extend his life. God graciously did so. And Hezekiah recognizes that one of the reasons that God has extended his life is for this purpose. Look at verse 18 of Isaiah 38. For Sheol does not thank you, death does not praise you. For those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. I think that that purpose statement is remarkable because Hezekiah recognizes that one of the reasons God has kept, it, kept him on earth is to sing his praises to others. If we still have life, if we are still here, it's for the purposes of making his renown known. Purpose statement. If we don't lose sight of that, we will have con- gospel contentment. The purpose to glorify God and enjoy him forever and to advance the gospel. There's one statement I want to I end with to, to kind of have us process as we move through contentment. And this is a, a really simple statement. The statement is this. The purpose of life is to enjoy God. But so often, the Christian church, <laughs> us, will flip it around and say, the purpose of God is to enjoy life. What a subtle and dangerous difference, right? The purpose of life is to enjoy God. All of that is to glorify God and to make him known. To flip those things around, we're in a world of hurt. Most of us uh, have been familiar with uh, the, the idea that John Piper throws out of, of Christian hedonism, Right? We have discontentment because we're hedonists by nature. We want to satisfy every desire that we have, which is impossible because of the curse. But if our fulfillment comes through desiring God and having a relationship with him, we'll have understood what it is to be content in every and all circumstance. That contentment comes from recognizing that our purpose is to glorify God and to advance his gospel. In whatever situation you're going through, my prayer is that Um, as we experience thanksgiving, as we live a life on display, that we would give reason for the hope that lies within. We'll talk in a later week about what Paul says in Philippians about grumbling and complaining, right? It's not hard to find grumbling and complaining people. It's very hard to find people who sing God's praises, who give testimony to what he's done for us. Why are we here? To glorify God. Why are we going through what we're going through now? to glorify God, and to advance the gospel. Let's pray together. Father God, we, uh, we thank you um, for your word, Lord God. We thank you um, for the example that you have given us through Paul. We thank you for the access to, to authors um, who love you and, and have been touched by you and desire to proclaim your name. And uh, we just pray, Lord God, that we would be a church characterized by contentment, that we would be aware of our, our purpose statement. God, may we not lose sight of that, that our, our function as individuals, our function as families, our function as couples, our function as, as a church is to glorify you. And out of that comes enjoying you. God, we pray that that would be um, a characteristic, that we would be joy-filled believers, not focused on what we're lacking, because your word tells us, Lord God, that we have been given everything that we need for life and godliness. We lack nothing. 
Forgive us for the times where we're better at making a list of what we lack than reflecting on all that we've been given, the sufficiency of what you've done for us through your son Jesus. I pray that you'd give us gospel contentment, that you would um, just give us a, a joy that it's uncontainable, and that we would be given opportunities to speak and, and attest to the hope that lies within us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.